Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move into reality. Not to mention, with Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. Simply add and arrange your content with the click of a mouse. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, to get a 10% off your first purchase deal. Robinson waits. Here comes the pitch. And there goes the line drive to left field. Flood is after it. He leaps it over his head against the wall. Here comes Gilliam Stoyne. Brooklyn wins. Jackie Robinson is being pummeled by his teammates. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether, this time from the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, and the Hall of Game Ceremonies. Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Museum, honored me by asking me to host them, and I got to interview the players who were honored this year. Every year, they honor several different players for their contributions. This year, it was the awesome base stealer Maury Wills, the tremendous slugger Tony Perez, the devastating reliever Lee Smith, and the punishing line drive hitter Al Oliver, who was a teammate of Roberto Clemente and Willie Stargell. This year, the prestigious Jackie Robinson Award was given to A's ace Dave Stewart. Uh, I couldn't have been happier to see Dave Stewart get it because uh, he was a great rival of the Giants in the late 80s. There were lots of ball players there. Larry Heisel, Bill Russell from the Dodgers, uh, Joe Askew, but significantly George Altman, who we met. Jennifer and I were there and met all the players and their wives, and it was a grand and glorious weekend. George Altman might be the only player to play in the Negro Leagues for the Monarchs and the Minor Leagues, uh, in the Major Leagues for the Cubs and the Cards, and then later in the Japanese Leagues. And he wrote a book called My Baseball Journey from the Negro Leagues to the Majors and Beyond. And awesomely, Jim Mudcat Grant was there, who experienced prejudice of his own uh, by marrying out of his race, and it kind of hurt his career. He also wrote a tremendous book called The Black Aces about all the black pitchers in the Major Leagues who won 20 games. It's a fantastic and fun show, and I hope you like it as much as I like the Negro Leagues. The Negro League Museum is at 18th and Vine because the Negro Leagues were invented a couple of blocks away by Rube Foster. They're also there because it was the hub of black culture from the 1800s to the 1960s, jazz, business, and of course, baseball. It's a living monument to the players and everyone who uh, participated in the Negro Leagues, but also it's a reminder that there wouldn't have been a Negro Leagues if there hadn't have been segregation in America. So here's the show. I hope you enjoy it. The Hall of Game Ceremonies from the Negro League Museum. Kansas City, please give a resounding hand for one of the funniest men in the game, Mr. Greg Proops. Good evening. Yeah, one time for the band, huh? It's nice to be here. I'm the designated white guy tonight. Uh, that was a joke. Lighten up, Kansas City. Uh, after listening to Mr. Kendrick, I feel very confident in my position as comedian here tonight. That was also a joke. We'll be moving right along. 
for many of you, I don't know who you are either. So good evening. I'm friends with Wayne Brady, if that helps. It's awesome to be here in Kansas City, uh, the one city in Missouri where people read or know someone who does. Really? It's going to be that way? Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I was in Mississippi yesterday. Uh, we were doing a gig in Jackson. So being in Kansas City is like being in Paris or Rome to me now. The weather here is tremendous, um, just slightly hotter than the planet Mercury, ladies and gentlemen. How y'all can eat ribs every second of the day is beyond me. Ribs and deep-fried lard puffs for every meal. If I lived here, I'd weigh 485 pounds. It's extraordinary here. Uh, I, you're probably wondering, what did the Negro League Museum ever do to me that I would come and do this to them? Uh, but I met Bob last year, as he described, and by the way, I've never been booked back at the Kansas City Improv, for which I am eternally grateful. Uh, I'm much more excited to be here because it's a much groovier venue. I've got to meet ball players all day long, I got to eat lunch with Al Oliver, and I never knew how great he was until he told me. And We've had such a great time here today. I've been like an eight-year-old boy. Um, I grew up in San Francisco, and uh, no, I'm not. Thank you for asking. Um, really? That's the first time you laugh? It's on the radio. They can't see that. I just have a pocket square and a vocabulary. Uh, 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 I grew up in San Francisco. I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, so it's really super awesome to be here in Kansas City. Um, 2014 was a beautiful year uh, in a very hard-fought World Series. Uh, it, it took us all the way to go to the end, and we beat you with one pitcher and a pea shooter. Uh, we had no hitting and no pitching, but we had one giant country guy named Madison Bumgarner, who's from a town so small that when he was in high school, he dated a girl named Madison Bumgarner. I wish I was lying about that. Madison Bumgarner is from a very small town in North Carolina, and uh, he's our star pitcher. This year, of course, he had an accident. Uh, he tripped over his wallet and hurt his ankle. And thank you. He, uh, when he won his first World Series game for us in 2010 against the Texas Rangers, he pitched a, a three-hitter and went about, I think, eight and a third innings. And after the game, they asked him... Uh, were you nervous? And he went, hell no, I pitched in the state finals. So he's his country is fried green tomatoes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and we're very excited to have him there. I, I, I was thrilled beyond measure to meet Dave Stewart today and uh, absolutely unbelievably proud of him for uh, receiving the Jackie Robinson Award. Um, I was at the 1989 World Series. And of course, as you know, there was a lot of tragedy at the 1989 World Series. Um, there was an earthquake and a uh, subsequent uh, mayhem all around the Bay Area. The Bay Bridge fell down. A lot of terrible things happened. But the worst thing that happened uh, was that Dave Stewart had 10 days rest between game one and game three. Uh, we, we, he beat us 5 nothing in game one, and then Michael Moore came and beat us in game two. And then we took 10 days off, and Dave Stewart came back and beat us 13-7 in game three. Uh, yeah, it was what we call uh, in San Francisco an ass-whipping. And 
We had so much hope in our hearts. We came back to the park. It hadn't fallen down. We were very excited about that. By the way, if you want to know something about San Francisco, um, when the earthquake happened in Candlestick Park, after it finished, and it was a one-minute-long earthquake, which is a very long time. Uh, I know you don't have earthquakes here in Kansas City. You have uh, uh, um, deep-fried events. Um, you have hurricanes or whatever it is you have in the Midwest here. Uh, the earthquake lasted one minute, and the park shook like the very devil, and at the end of it, everyone cheered. That's the kind of devil-may-care attitude we have in San Francisco. Uh, uh, after the game, uh, t- uh, Faye Vincent, who was a commissioner at the time, uh, suspended the uh, World Series for 10 days. And when it resumed, uh, Dave Stewart was inconceivably well-rested and came back and mowed us down. Uh, and that's my main uh, memory of Dave Stewart, is him beating us senseless. Uh, Candlestick Park, if you'd never went there in the old days, um, was originally meant um, uh, to store snowballs for the entire Bay Area. It was the coldest baseball park in the world, particularly in the summertime. Um, I saw a fox on the field there, a skunk on the field there, a cat run across the field. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the wind would whip up, and peanut shells would blow in everyone's eyes. And the umpire, the catcher, and the batter would all go, ah! I saw... Uh, 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 pop flies fly all the way out into center field. Um, And uh, the only advantage of Candlestick Park was that you could pretty much smoke weed everywhere. And the cops never bothered you because they were quite high at the time. Uh, I think we've had enough of my hilarity. Let's move on. Uh, I know you've had other sportscasters here and I know I'm funnier than them, so there's that. It's so exciting for me to be here tonight uh, to interview these fine baseball players, all of whom I got to see play. I don't know if that means that I'm August or seasoned. I I detest the word uh, old. I prefer a colorful. Um, I saw Lee Smith pitch. I saw Dave Stewart pitch. I saw Maury Wills play. uh, And I saw Al Oliver uh, murder uh, baseballs. And uh, I couldn't be... uh, Have I forgotten anyone? No. Uh, I have. Did I say Maury Wells? Oh, Tony Perazzi, get out of town. I was at a game where Willie McCovey hit two home runs, and the Reds came back and beat us 6-4 to four anyway. And Tony Perez had a double in that game off the wall. All I remember about Tony Perez is him standing on second smiling for an entire career. And, of course, Pete Rose's bizarre Three Stooges haircut. I forgot Tony Perez. How could I forget Tony Perez? I can't even speak to him now. I'm humiliated. Um, uh, uh, unbelievably superb ball player, um, and all of them uh, superb ball players. Um, what I wanted to say was this, except that I moved the papers around here and I can't find where I was. Why don't you improvise, Greg, like you do on the show? Why don't you just sit in your seat and shut up? Here we go. Uh, I'm supposed to mention the other inductees of the Hall of Game uh, which is an August award given out here at the Negro League Museum. And 2014 was the first one, and it was Lou Brock, Joe Morgan, Dave Winfield, and Roberto Clemente. Uh, In 2015, Ricky Henderson, Fergie Jenkins, Ozzie Smith, and Louis Tiant. Uh, In 2016, Orlando Cepeda, Andre Dawson, uh, Tony Oliver, and Tim Raines. Um, All tremendous ballplayers. I may not have mentioned that I'm from San Carlos, California, which is the whitest place on the face of the earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. Take the fruit out. The powerful taste is burning our tongues. Bobby Bonds moved to San Carlos in the 60s, and Barry Bonds was the black neighborhood in my town. Thank you for your gentle laughter. 
You're a very respectful group. You honor each joke with a moment of silence. <laughs> it's now my pleasure uh, to introduce our first guest uh, here tonight and our first um, honoree of one of the uh, uh, Hall of Game Awards, uh, Maury Wills. Maury Wills uh, was a sensation and struck baseball like lightning. He stole 104 bases to set a new Major League stolen base record. By the way, I'd also like to mention that year, he beat Willie Mays for the most valuable player award, uh, which is, yeah, takes some doing, ladies and gentlemen. One of the greatest base stealers and base runners of all time. He led the National League in stolen bases six times, 14 seasons, seven All-Star games, the first player to earn the All-Star Game MVP honors. Uh, several unbelievable championships with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Still owns the Dodgers franchise record for single season at-bats, single season stolen bases, and career stolen bases. And all day long he's been asking me, am I a Dodger fan? And I'm like, no, I'm a Giants fan. And no one knows Dodgers better than Giants fans. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the immortal Maury Wills. you guys. I'm going to give you that microphone. You want any water or anything? This is Kansas City. I'm like, do you have water on stage? They're like, no. There's water right there. Yeah, that one's mine. I've been drinking out of it. Eric, will you get me another water for Mr. Wills? Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. That'll be all. Hello? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's so exciting uh, to sit here and talk to you, Mr. Wills. Um, let, let's go right to the questions, shall we? I showed them to you earlier today, and you approved them, so I'm pretty happy to ask them. I don't remember. <laughs> Perhaps your memory's been stolen. Um, see what I did? That was a... Oh, golly, that was serious. I honestly was joking, like a stolen base joke. Um, what's the secret uh, to being a, a, a tremendous base dealer? To be sneaky. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to study the pictures. Um, every picture has some little telltale move that lets me know whether he's coming over for an attempt pickoff or whether he's going home. And it's really easy to read them. You just have to apply yourself and want to. Who was the easiest to steal off of then? Well, I was asked that by sports writers, I don't know, a hundred or more times. I never would say who was the easiest. Um, because I didn't want to make him mad. He'll go out and practice and improve himself. And now I've lost a guy that I could take advantage of. Just like I would never say who was the toughest. I didn't want him to know. All right. So I can't answer that. Well, that's been our time. Thanks for coming up here. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, let me ask you another question then. Who was the toughest, who was the toughest pitcher to face? Uh, who did you not like to face? Well, I didn't like to face Bob Gibson. Uh-huh. Bob Gibson. Now, he was pretty mean. And he, and he had some scars on him, and so I know he'd been around. Yeah. So I didn't want to mess with him. Most pitchers, excuse me for the pitchers who are here, but most pitchers, if you wolf at them a little bit, you know, they'll back off and lighten up, but not Bob Gibson. Come on, you come on up here then. He'll challenge you. Oh, my goodness. And you, you, one time I was on first base in St. Louis. I had a big lead because I'm going to steal off of him. And he's in his stretch position. He's looking over his shoulder, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking, so he steps off. And he said, hey, hey, you. I'm looking around. Who, me? Yeah, you, uh, MF. <laughs> he said, you're off a little far, ain't you? He said, you got to hit again, you know. I said, oh, man. <laughs> and I shortened up. <laughs> That's Bob Gibson. Wow. <laughs> um, it's hard to follow that one, Maury. That's a true one. I bet. That's true. Uh, well, a lot of guys threw at people's heads in those days, though, right? I mean, you were on a team with Don Drysdale. Yeah, John Drysdale was my protector. Uh-huh. Um, he, um, he loved it to throw at hitters, you know, and close to, and with something on the ball. And um, being a base dealer, pitchers didn't like that. So pitchers didn't like me very much, unless I, it was an all-star game, and, you know, I was on the team with them. My pitchers loved me for the Dodgers. But um, um, so when I came up to hit, you know, I got scars all over me and, and balls at my head. I'd just get out of the way. And when I'd come in to the dugout, Drysdale would rush over to me and say, do you think he meant to do that? I said, why? He said, I'll get him for you. Yeah. I know. I said, we only got you one run. <laughs> Leave him alone. I'll be all right. So that was Don Dreiser. He was my protector. Wow. So he really would go after guys for you? Oh, yeah. He loved that. <laughs> now, do we have any hitters here who hit against Don Dreiser? I'm sure. Yeah. Tony? He didn't mind throwing it close, did he? He hit, <laughs> <laughs> he hit him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, the, the Negro Leagues were filled with uh, loads of base runners. Uh, did you draw inspiration from them, or was it more uh, who came before you? Uh, Jackie Robinson, Sam Jethro, Willie Mays? Jackie Robinson was my hero. Uh-huh. I was, I'm from Washington, D.C., and uh, lived in... Uh, as I remember, in, in uh, public housing. Um, and the joy was to play baseball. And um, I idolized Jackie Robinson, so I wanted to be a good base runner. And so along the way, I learned how to steal bases, so I became a base stealer. And um, so when I got into the big leagues, I'm a little guy, I can't hit the ball out of the park. So, uh, and I was a leadoff hitter, and the next batter would always take a pitch for me. 
so they would battle with Jim Gilliam, the late Jim Gilliam. I said, what about this guy? Can you get him on? I said, I'll steal him, Jock. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll take, take, take a pitch for you. And that's how it became our um, way of playing. Me, get on first, steal second, steal third if he's not paying attention, and come home on a sacrifice fly, and Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax would shut him out. Right, Tony? Okay. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about uh, being inducted into the uh, uh, Negro League Hall of Game tonight? Oh, I'm just tickled. In fact, I, immediately I called the Dodgers and told them the Dodgers today in Dodgers Stadium in, in Los Angeles is Old Timers Day, and they always look for me to be there. So I called them and told them I was coming here to Kansas City to the Negro League Museum of being on it. I said, yeah. Because I still work for them, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm um, faithful to the Dodgers. I'll never say a bad word about the Dodgers uh, or do anything out of line. So I let them make the decision, the choice, whether I'd stay for the 70-some thousand fans to see me and applaud, applaud when they say, yeah, <laughs> or be here in Kansas City at the... Right on. Yeah. So the Dodgers said, you go to Kansas City and be there. We're supportive of the Negro League Museum. So I'm here with... with That's with, fantastic. Yeah. I rode in an elevator once with you at Dodger Stadium up to the uh, stadium club. Of course, you wouldn't remember. Uh, I remember you. <laughs> handsome, glasses... And uh, uh, you got out of the, and you know, we were paralyzed, my friends and I. You got out of the elevator, and we were both like, oh, he wills. Uh, it was very exciting. Let me ask you one last thing. Uh, Al Oliver, uh, who's here tonight, and uh, I'm hoping is still speaking to me, um, came up in September uh, uh, in 68 uh, on the Pirates, uh, when you were on the Pirates, do you, did you, do you have a first impression of, uh, of what Al Oliver was like when he, when he first came up? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he became a starting first baseman immediately. Willie Stodger was playing first. They put him back in the outfield. And um, Al became the first baseman, without a doubt. He could hit. Hot, he could hit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, every baseball player wants to be a good hitter. You can be a good fielder and get a glove, gold glove for fielding. You can get um, awards for being the best base dealer or the best base runner, the pitcher, or whatever. That's all fine. But to be a good hitter like an Al Oliver is the ultimate. Ladies and gentlemen, Maury Wills. Thank you.
support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whatever your next big idea might be, count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You even get a unique domain, which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Though, if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial-seeming. Think of them as your very own IT department. So make your next move, baby, and start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Enter the offer code PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's P-R-O-O-P-S. I thank you, and the Smartest Man in the World podcast thanks you. Well, that's me done. I can retire now. I got to talk to Maury Wills, our next uh, baseball player and inductee into the Hall of Game. Uh, wasn't just a hitter um, who I saw play for many, many years in the big leagues. Um, he absolutely raked the ball. Um, Silver Slugger three times uh, on the first all-black team ever put on the field. A member of the legendary 1971 Pittsburgh Pirates, 18 seasons in the big leagues, uh, five division championship teams, seven all-stars, and the 1982 NL batting title, and a beautiful human being. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome to the stage Al Oliver. Yeah. Well, Al, we had a good chat today at lunch. We did. And I'm going to ask you a couple of the same questions. All right. Uh, but first I want to ask you this. Now, you were on the 70... You started with the Pirates in 68. Um, you were on the team with Roberto Clemente and Willie Stargell. Do you mind talking about them a little bit before we wow. get into you? I want to make it short as I can because it's tough mm. to be short with those guys. First of all, um, I was very fortunate to have played with the greatest player that I ever played with, and without question, one of the greatest players that I ever saw. People always ask me, you know, um, how great was he? Is baseball um, better today than it was years ago? And I tell people, when I made my first All-Star game, the outfield, Aaron, Mays, Clemente, they said, oh, <laughs> So that eliminated that question. Roberto Clemente was a man who was for real. He was a leader of mankind. If he could have wrote the script on how he wanted to leave this world, it would have been the way that he left it. And that was helping people. He always said that in this world, when you got millionaires and people who are starving in the world, it's inexcusable. It's no excuse with all the money in the world, people out there are starving. So all of a sudden, 
at, at uh, New Year's Eve leading into 1973, he decides to go to Manapua. He, he heard that the goods and the food and things were not being sent to the proper people. So he took it upon himself to go over there and make sure that the proper people received it. They told him, don't go, because the plane was heavy, but that was Roberto. Once he made his mind up, he was going to do it. Great player. Um, I can't say enough about him. One of the saddest days of my life was the 1973 opening day. Here we are without him. His family's there, his kids are young, his parents are there. Here we are lined up on the foul line. And all of a sudden, you know, um, they are retiring his number. And you know, I was sitting there and we sat back as a team. It wasn't a dry eye in Three River Stadium. It was the saddest day of my life. You know, I had lost my parents when I was young, but you know, I wasn't a crier. But this is one time that I broke because he meant so much to the young players like myself, Sangin, Doc Ellis, to Ohebner, all of the young players. He just set a standard for us. Whereas when we played with him, if we looked at a guy who was 36, 37 years old, running out ground balls, there was no excuse in the world why we should not have. And that's the way that he led, more or less by example. And the thing that I will always remember about him, I lost my dad the same day I was called to the major leagues. And I was all by myself. I was being platooned, which I didn't like. You know, uh, left hand and right hand didn't make a difference because the ball had come across the plate. That's just the way that I was. Roberto came over to my locker one day and said, look, Al, you stay in shape because one day you'll be one of the best players to ever play this game. And unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to see my career. I wish he would have. But he meant a lot to us, and um, he was our leader. He led us to the 1971 World Championship team. I can't say enough. Thank you for that. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to reverse the question uh, that I asked Maury Wills. Uh, when you came up, Maury Wills was there. What was your first impression of him? Well, it was positive. First of all, I knew what Maury had done as far as breaking the record of stolen bases. But the thing that I always, will always remember about Maury was he was a guy who was kind of scientific. He could pick a pitcher, their weaknesses, and get that great lead. He knew how to get a lead off the bases. And I always watched him, um, how he would pick people apart. And the one thing that is overlooked with Maury. Maury, throughout his career, became a lot better hitter because he didn't walk every time he went to the plate to get on pace, you know. Mm -hmm. and, but I had a lot of respect for Maury, although it was a very short time. But I was just honored to have played with him. I knew that I was playing with one of the greatest players who ever played the game of baseball. Uh, base stiller, yes. But I got to know him as a person, and to this day, he's still the same person that I saw in 1968, and I also played with his son, Bump, yeah. at Texas, who's a good buddy of mine. 
And I'm just glad that I had a chance to play with Maury. So everything was positive about Maury Wills as far as I'm concerned. Right on. My, hey, my pleasure. And I meant it too. Yes, sir. Let me ask you a question about your own hitting. Uh, because everything I remember about you is that you were just terrifying at the uh. dish. Uh, how did you approach that? I mean, you're a lifetime 300 hitter. You have uh, 2,700 hits. I mean, you, you didn't slump, really. No, I never had a slump. I mean, how do you do that? How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you rake the ball. I mean, you rake yes. the ball. You know, <laughs> ever, ever since I was a kid, I always had this ability, you know, like some of us in here today, we would get the smallest rock and a stick and throw it up and hit it. That was the challenge. I never missed. And so that's where it all started. And I had this confidence about hitting that I just felt that I could hit anybody who threw the ball across the plate. Whether I did or not, I went to the plate with that approach. And that is what really kept me going all those years was the confidence factor. Because, you know, to be successful, you have to be confident. And there are so many players that, you know, like you take a Dave Stewart or Lee Smith, if they bust you inside or send you to the canvas, you got to get up. Can't just lay there and, and whine and moan. Get up and hit a line drive back past your head. And then, and then they'll leave you alone. But see, pitchers know hitters. They know who they can intimidate and who they can't. And that's why most of them were successful. But see, I was one of those hard-headed guys. You know, knock me down, I get up. Try to hit a line drive back past the head. If they hit me, I go to first base. And I always said when I first came to big leagues, if they hit me, I would never charge the mound because I was not going to break my hand on no pitcher whose record is 3 and 15. <laughs> and here I am sitting at home with a broken hand watching them pitching the game of the week. That would be terrible. So I never charged him out. One guy threw me inside. He was a left-hand pitcher. I'm not going to call his name because he's passed on. He threw from the side, and I never bailed against left-handers. And he throws a slider down the way. I shoot one inside the third-base bag. The next time up, he sent me to the canvas. And so on instinct, you look out at him, and he said, Now... This guy was a turkey. I'm not going out there and waste my time fighting with this guy. I mean, you know, that's just... I was the intimidator and not the pitcher. That's the way my mindset. Like Bob Gibson wasn't the pitcher, that's where I was as a hitter. I'm just glad to hear you call someone a turkey. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, one last thing. How do you feel about being inducted in the Negro League Hall of Game here today? I'm honored. You know, when I got the call, it's kind of ironic. You know, everywhere I go, they talk about, well, you know, you belong in, in Cooperstown. And the only thing I can reply to that is I thank them. 
I respect them for them respecting my career. But then when I got the call for the Hall of Game, the Negro League Hall of Fame, I said, you know, when, when you're, first of all, when you're seven years old, you, you better go. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> you don't turn down the hall of nothing. <laughs> when you're 70. But I knew that this hall was something special. And the reason why I knew it was something special, because you talk about guys who went ahead of me, who set the tempo, gave me the opportunity to play Major League Baseball. The thing I feel great about is Branch Rickey, who's from my hometown, brought Jackie Robinson into the major leagues. And you know, that's a proud thing for me. And uh, to have someone from my hometown have the guts and fortitude to go against the other owners. And a lot of people don't realize this, and I'm gonna tell the story today because a lot of people don't know, it's very important. When he was at Ohio Westland, he had a black player on his team. They went to the desk to get their keys like we do in the major leagues. So, he did not receive a key. So Brad Tricky said, you stay with me tonight. Brad Tricky said, after that moment, if he ever got the opportunity again, he would never ever allow that to happen again. And he did not, and he proved it with Jackie Robinson. And I'm glad today, I'm just glad today that I can say that he is one of my homeboys. Right on. It took someone from Southern Ohio. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Al. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I give you the magnificent hitter, Al Oliver. Every player and everybody we're bringing up here tonight is uh, inconceivably outstanding. Uh, this relief pitcher um, was devastating uh, in the major leagues. Uh, held the major league baseball career saves record from 1993 to 2006. And only Mo Rivera and Trevor Hoffman have more saves than him. Well over 400 saves. Led the majors in saves four times. An all-star seven times. Still the NL saves record with 47. Um, players hated to dig in against him. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee Smith. Wow, what a pleasure. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, Lee, uh, let, first of all, I know everybody asked this question, but we're going to anyway. Um, tell me about being a closer. Uh, how, you know, how do you get prepared for that? Well, it, uh, it sort of started off really, really strange for me because I was in, uh, in the minor league with the Cubs, and uh, they decided to make me a relief pitcher. Well, at that time, it was sort of a slap in the face to, uh -huh. um, you know, to be a relief pitcher because the starters, you know, they weren't coming out in the sixth and seventh inning. And I actually was in double A. And 
I, the team was going to Shreveport, Louisiana, is where I'm from. And the team, I was in the Texas League. We're going there, and all of the guys said to me, uh, Smitty, why are you taking uh, so many bags to Shreveport? I'm like, we're only going on a, like, a 10-day road trip. I said, well, uh, you guys are going on a 10-day road trip, but I'm going on a road trip for the rest of my days because I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I end up, I end up quitting play, quit playing baseball, and I went back and played college basketball, which was my, uh, my first love, was, was, was basketball. But uh, they had a young man by the name of uh, Mr. Billy Williams that uh, came to my home, and, and uh, he said to me, Smitty, uh, what's up with this? You quitting playing baseball? I'm like, man, I'm 10 and four. Uh, I'm going. Uh, uh, I'm not going anywhere. And they put me in the bullpen now. And well, I know we have kids and young ladies in the room, and I can't tell you exactly what he said to me. But uh, <laughs> but he said, hey, you you really haven't done anything in so many words. So give this relief pitching thing uh, a shot. You know? So I actually I told the Cubs something that I thought they was never going to do. I said to them, hey, I tell you what, you guys double my salary. I'll come back hoping that they were going to say no. Get called the next day, okay, we double your salary, come back, throw you in the bullpen. Okay, that didn't work, so I go there, I go to the bullpen. Six weeks later, I'm in the big league, so wow. the, the rest is history, man. But I, Wow. I 400 saves later. Now, you were scouted by uh, Buck O'Neill, were you not? Yes, yeah. Buck O'Neill, um, you know, him putting the... Um, the uh, museum together was nothing compared to him finding me where I live in Shreveport, right outside of Shreveport, Louisiana. Buck went to every cow pasture in, <laughs> in northern Louisiana. So he for just me. drove down there and found you. Oh, yes. Buck, Buck, matter of fact, when he came out and he's looking for me, and he, I love the way he said my name. He always said, Lee Arthur. That's what he called me, you know. So Buck was uh, well, the scout for the Cubs, and he actually came out and found me. And uh, he's like, Boy, what are you doing playing stickball? I'm like, and we had to go out and do something with ourselves, man. So we were playing ball. And Buck said, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to uh, draft you. And I'm like, in the Army? <laughs> I'm like, I-, I was playing baseball to get away from my old man because he had, like, a-, a logging business, man. So I was like, I'm getting away from him. But Buck was, like, onto me about, hey, give this baseball thing. I thought, really, really, I thought I was getting drafted for the Army. But uh, I-, I get into this, and I go to the Cubs, and our model lake says to him, and everywhere I went, Buck was there always. I can just hear him. Now, he, everywhere he was like roving like what I do now, and he was there for me all the time. And I always tell him uh, positive, you know, uh, things about how you got to keep yourself. But the main thing what I learned from him was so much how to handle, you know, disappointments, you know, and handle it with a smile. And, and I see that so much now in the museum with, uh, with Bob. You know, I mean, Bob got that beautiful smile. This man working day in and day out and have that big smile on his face. I don't know how he do it. But I'm going I'm to tell you. Yeah. yeah. But it's his last night here at the museum. This is a terrible way to let him know. Um, and I think it's because he had me do this show tonight. Yep. No, Bob is amazing. Uh, yeah. Unfailingly positive. But one other thing, I have to get off track a little bit and share a little something with you. Uh, I think we might be outnumbered because I work for the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> so uh, hopefully if you're going to be my bodyguard to get us out of here. Uh, please yeah. do, man. But uh, uh, back with the, that's what I, like, like I, I actually first, my little lady here, uh, Miss Diana, she, I had actually, when Bob uh, had called me about the coming to do this here, right? And I'm like, Bob, okay, fine. I'd love to come back. And I had something that happened in our minor league system, and I had to cover for one of our pitching coaches. So I called Bob and said, uh, Bob, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm going to have to stay with our AAA affiliate. And 
He's like, oh, man, I think, uh, Diana, I think uh, maybe someone had uh, strangled him because I, I told him I was going to do this, and I'm like, I'm, I can't stay in the organization because as Maury and all the other uh, recipients here would tell you, loyalty, I think, from one side, the, the major league side of baseball or professional baseball to the, the ownership is sort of going out the window. Mm. So I, I, I had to show a little loyalty. And so the general manager for the San Francisco Giants, Mr. Bobby Evans, got wind of this, and he said, Smitty, you have to go to Kansas City. This is a great honor for you. Nice. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps now. I'm like, man, okay, but you do know I'm in Sacramento right now, all right? And uh, that was like coming on Friday morning, and they called, and uh, Bob and everyone with the museum and everybody got behind it and got me here into to Kansas City. But I tell you what, I just want to thank my organization because. Oh, not the Giants. We don't want to get ourselves in trouble, but really for getting me to be here because I really would not have wanted to miss this for nothing in the world. I'm having a great time. Oh. That's sensational. Uh, uh, speaking of who's here tonight, uh, what was, did you ever face Al and uh, uh, Tony Perez? Yes, and I, could, I can say this is the first time that I've ever been in their presence that I wasn't nervous. Because <laughs> I don't have to get them out, man. Uh, and I, I said earlier about uh, Tony, and um, they would always, you know, Tony would say to me, hey, boy, I'd say you go out there, you never, you never hang me that slider. I'm like, man, I'm not going to let you kill me. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I make good pitches. Those guys like that, you, uh, uh, we talked earlier about, he talked earlier about intimidating guys. If there was anyone in the major league that you could intimidate, they wasn't going to be around very long. And those two guys right there, there was no intimidating. They was, they was like the heart. And, they, and if you knock those guys down, you really just made them mad. So I want to make sure I make good pitches and get out of the way and I don't go out there like some of the guys do, poking holes in the sky. I'm going to get, get these guys out and get out of the way because I don't want to give them no more or other incentive to want to come after me. Were there, were there batters you really uh, uh, hated to face besides Al and Tony? Well, there was, there was another young man. He wasn't really a good ball player, man, but he wore me out. You ever heard of a guy named Mike Schmidt? Yeah, just well, vaguely. Yeah, yeah. Mike Schmidt, would, uh, he would make sure I was at the ballpark on time, had a limo out front, make sure I wasn't late. Uh, but <laughs> it's just something about this guy, man. You make good pitches on him, he hit the ball, and I'm looking at, like, Fergie Jenkins throwing, like, 82-bar sliders right in the middle of the plate, and he's popping it up to him. And... I'm throwing like 94 in the black, and he's hitting bullets in the right field section, yeah. you know. And um, I go to the vet, and uh, me and Rick Sutcliffe are walking in the clubhouse, and we see our photo on the wall. And I'm like, oh, Sut, man, we got it made. You know, we, why did we make the wall in the vet? You got to be pretty good to make the wall in the vet, right? And we get up there a little closer, and we read, and it says, the guys that Mike Schmidt has hit the most home runs off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, son, I don't think we should rip that off. That ain't where we want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That one made me snork. Every time I went to see Mike Smith at Candlestick, he'd strike out and then hit into a double play, and then the third time up hit a three-run homer. Yeah. Uh, he was unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was it, on the other hand, uh, Lee, who, was, who, did you, who did you not mind facing? Can you tell us? Uh, yep, uh, I would tell you if he was in the room. John Crook. <laughs> <laughs> well, John can't get me now because we don't, we're both retired. But, yeah. <laughs> but John Crook, I would always, you know, throw him that high fastball. And most most left-handed hitters, except Mr. Oliver here, 
thought they could hit that high fastball, but John Cluck was probably 0 for 40 something against me. And, and I loved it. I just kept throwing him high fastballs. And it seemed like everybody else on the team, that ball would be off the wall or out in, uh, out in the bleachers. And, and uh, I would just keep throwing him that high fastball down the middle. Well, that's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, the magnificent Lee Smith. John Crook's shorter than I thought, too. Uh, our last inductee tonight uh, is a magnificent ball player who's in the Hall of Fame. Um, has a couple of World Series rings, an unforgettable part of one of the greatest teams of all time. A man who hit um, a zillion RBIs in the big leagues and was an unstoppable force. Ladies and gentlemen, it's hard to describe the magnificence that is Mr. Tony Perez. Yeah. Tony, thank you for being here. Um, I'm, never mind the questions. Here's my questions. You played uh, 23 years in the bigs, and um, when I think of all the times I watched you and, and all the magnificent games you had, uh, the 67 All-Star Game, the, the, the 75 World Series, what for you stands out? Well... Uh, 67 All-Star Game, it was my first All-Star Game. And, uh, and that was my, my first year I played regular. I, uh, my first two years, 65 and 66, I, uh, I was playing against left-hander, uh, only platoon, like, like Al scooped it. And, you know, it was so special for me to make the All-Star Game. I can, I can believe uh, uh, coming out of Cuba, I got to be playing with uh, Willie Mays and Roberto Clemente, Cepeda, and Drysdale, and all those guys. I mean, that was something I never even dreamed about it. And uh, BRS that game, uh, that, was, that was really, when I got to play with my wife and my little boy, my older boy, Victor, one year old, uh, you know, the plane wasn't flying, I was flying. I mean, I, I got wins because I want to get there. I want to get to to Los Angeles uh, so bad and, and get to the hotel and uh, and wait to get to the ballpark. Can't wait. Yeah, that was something you never forget. And then when the game started and um, and I watched the whole game. I mean, I, I watched night innings yeah. of that game and I never got in. Uh, and the tenth inning, I got in. Uh, I went to first base, and, uh, and I faced uh, Catfish Hunter. The pitcher was, uh, was pitching, uh, first time up. And I, was, I was ready. I was sitting in there for, for, for nine innings, and, and I tried to hit uh, his fastball, and he threw me a fastball. He struck me out the first time up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I faced him, and uh, I said, well, the game went longer and longer, and the fifth inning, we are still tied 1-1, one, one, and, and I face him again. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the hitters. I, 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 I remember 
what the preacher struck me out with and what he got me out with. And, uh, and I said, well, he threw me a fastball. I'm going to win this game. And he did. He threw me a first fastball. The same one, he struck me out. I hit the ball out of the ballpark. And... Unbelievable. Now, you were on, uh, uh, next to the Pirates, I think, the Reds were just... You... Yeah. In the 70s, the Reds, the Dodgers, and the Pirates, but oh my God, the Reds were hard to beat. Um, let's talk about the Big Red Machine a little bit. Of all the incarnations, uh, 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 is the 75, 76, 70, 72, which, which team, you know, give me a little love. That were better. Well, the, the 75, 76 team were almost the same team. Mm. Uh, where we played better and we were more uh, better as a team in 76. Uh, in 70, uh, we beat the, the Pirates, but, you know, they have a great team always when you, when you go against uh, uh, Scoop and, and, uh, and Roberto Clemente and uh, my, my, one of my favorite, uh, Willie, yeah. Willie Stiger and, and, and Scoop. I mean, that, that was Sunday. They got a great team, and, uh, and, and we know we're going to have a battle. Uh, no, we're going we're gonna to fight uh, uh, for, for, for every game we play. And, and we, we beat them in, in 70, uh, and then we lost uh, that World Series. And then we, we played them in 75 again and beat them again, and then we won. But why that's that easy? You know, in 70, 76, I think we beat them in the world. You know, somebody threw a wall pitch, and, uh, 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 and we win and went to the World Series, and we win the two World Series. We got a great team. I mean, we got eight guys over there who play every day. And each one know what to do to win ball games, you know. And we got uh, we we got speed, uh, we got defense, uh, we got power, and, and and we and we got the best. I I to me, what the best defense at the middle with Bench, Morgan, Concepcion, and Geronimo on the middle. I yeah. think uh, we were wow. we were one of the best in there. Um, Geronimo and the pitching oh. stuff was 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 great too. We got a great bullpen, and we got yeah. um, we got starters like Don Gullett and, and uh, Billy Ham, Freddie Norman. That was good, and the bullpen uh, coming in and, and shut it down. I mean, a lot of people talk about the difference between uh, the way the games play today and how it was in the 70s. Uh, pitchers were expected to go the distance. People were still throwing 300 innings a year then, and 32, com- you know, right. 20 complete games. But the Reds didn't. The Reds, the, the, you guys relied heavy on the, uh, on the bullpen. Yeah, we, I don't think anyone had any complaints. Right, games. right. With, uh, Sparky was one of the guys, they called him Captain Hook because he, he didn't wait long to get the, the pitches out. It's, it's, he got a big hook. And, uh, <laughs> and we used the bullpen a lot. Uh, he do that because he, he know, even for we, Behind him in the score, we can come back anytime. No, no matter what late the game was, seven, eight inning, we can come back because we got we were, were that kind of team, and we can, you know, came back to anybody. Did you guys know? I mean, the '76 team, you rolled the postseason over. You won eight games in a row uh, to win it all. Um, that has to be maybe the greatest National League team ever put on the field, don't you think? In some ways, I mean. I'm asking you to be humble here, but I'm saying 
It was a superb team. Yeah, it's and what this, I, the, the, the '75 team. Went, you were in the greatest game ever played, right? Like game six. Yeah, '75. That was. Uh, yeah. I mean, with that game, uh, that series with the Red Sox yeah. was, was one of the one of the greatest game was the sixth game, and and uh, they win, but we never give up. I mean, yeah. we know we got another game the next day. They, they, like I said before. Uh, we're the kind of team we never, we knew we got a chance. Even Sparky Anderson was very mad with us. He, he got mad at us after the game because we really? were talking. Yeah, we were talking about how great the game was, how the good plays and all that, and the, and the pitchers. And, and uh, it was Morgan, myself, and Rose. We're talking about it. Sparky come up and say, hey, listen, guys, we just lost this game. We lost a chance to be to be a, a, a world champion again and, and, uh, for the first time because we, we, we lost two in 70 and 72 with the, with, with the Oakland A's. We won that series too. And we say they calling us the Bill Red Machine, but we never win the World Series. Now we're here going to the seventh game and we, and we tie. And you think, uh, you say, don't worry, Spikey, we're going to win tomorrow. We got another game and <laughs> we, win that, we win that game. What happened was, uh, Bill Lee, in the seventh game, he was, he was beating us three to nothing in the sixth inning, and Spikey was scratching his head and walking on the tunnel. And, uh, you know, he said, Spikey, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, <laughs> what do you think I'm doing? We're down in the sixth inning, and, and, and you're talking about it. I said, don't worry, Spikey, when we, we get men on, don't worry about it. He, he would make a mistake, and he went out. I was... I was joking. I was kidding. I like yeah. you, you know. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, I say, what happened was I got one man on, and Billy threw me the blooper pitch, a slow, whatever, uh -huh. and, I, and I hit it out. We came back 3-2, and then uh, we, we win the game. Unforgettable, Tony. We win the series. Unforgettable. So, all, you know, you're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you've got rings. Uh, you have a ring as a coach, for goodness sakes. Um, uh, 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 what is it like to, to be in the Negro League uh, uh, Museum uh, Hall of Game? How does that feel for you? Uh, I, I very, very, very special. I mean, I got, you say I got two rings a while ago, I got five rings. Yeah. Five words. Thank you. Rings. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. Forgive no, me. no, but, but you're right. I got two as a player. Yeah. I got one uh, uh, as a, a coach in 1990. Uh, with Cincinnati Red and two with the Miami Marlins. Two with Miami, as, uh, yes, forgive yeah. me. Uh, but <laughs> this is very special to me because, uh, like I say earlier today, being here, watching all the players and the Negro League, the chance the Negro League giving the Cuban players who not, cannot play in the big leagues, come here and play and you know, and be recognized. Uh, that's what I think. Mari Dijigo is, is mm -hmm. in the Hall of Fame with me, and he played in the Negro League, and some other Cubans too, and some of Latin, Latin players did. Oh, yeah. That, to me, this, I had to make this trip like all these guys say. We have to come here no matter what. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Perez. He's 
still have your job, Bob? I think so. I, I hope so. I hope so. Y'all have a good time. Tonight was really special. I've never had this much fun in my life. I'm vibrating with excitement. <laughs> Tony Perez and Lee Smith and Dave Stewart and Al Oliver and Maury Wells touched me. <laughs> that's not bad. Right? That's, that's not bad. That's not bad. We thank all of you all again for coming out. What a special night. Again, great round of applause for Lee Smith. Tony Perez. Al Oliver. Maury Wills. My main man, Dave Stewart. But, and, 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 and again, I, I, told, I told Lee today when he was here, you just get the feeling that somewhere in that great somewhere, old Buck is looking down, smiling. His friends are here supporting his museum. Uh, and we couldn't be more excited about the tradition of the Hall of Game and everything that it represents. And we thank all these athletes for coming out, being a part of this. But before we go, and before we bring these guys up, because we want to bring them up for one last final round of applause, I got to ask my friend, Muttcat Grant. Oh, yeah. Muttcat, would you do a little something for a little parting music for us? You don't have to leave. You can stay down there. You can stay right here. I'll bring the mic to you. Last year, old Muttcat gave us a little something, something, and I was hoping you might do a little something for us here tonight. I would be happy to do a little something, something. <laughs> The guys is going to help me, right? I think they can probably pick it up. Okay. All right. Tell them what you want. Well, I tell you, let's do some blues. Yeah. And the key of F. Mm hmm. And uh, uh, they're going to help me. They, they're not going to let me down. They're, they. This is, that's right. This is Kansas City. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. How about some blues, guys? Can we get some? No. You got me running. You got me high. How fast you want I think them do it. Yeah. You got me. You got me running. You got me high. You got me running high. 